So good to see you guys this morning. Good morning, Bridge. Oh, that felt good. These guys are really awake. You guys, okay. Good morning, Bridge. I knew you had it in you. It's good to see you guys. So glad you're here. Those that are watching online, so glad that you're with us as well, uh, literally around the world. Can, can we just get personal for a second before we get into the message? Are you as sick and tired of COVID news as I am? <laughs> I'm just weary. I'm just exhausted. The problem is that we can't not read it, watch it, because the decisions that they're making have a profound impact on our lives. So, so we have to pay attention. I mean, I got to be honest, every now and then, I think our leaders are just kind of making it up as they go, okay? But you know the honest truth? We leaders of the church are making it up as we go. We're navigating waters we've never navigated before. We're dealing with things we've never addressed before. And so we're doing the best we can as we move forward. But it's just exhausting. I just find myself praying, oh God, let this pandemic be over. Can I get an amen in the room? But what if I told you there was another pandemic that's even bigger and has even more profound impact on the world and the news isn't even mentioning it. We're in a series that we're calling I Am The Bridge, and we're all wearing our T-shirts. If you haven't gotten one, stop by and get yourself one. Uh, the simple truth is the bridge is not a building at 188 Whitley Church Road. The bridge is not locations across eastern North Carolina that's meeting in Smithfield and Mount Olive and Goldsboro and Princeton around uh, this region. The bridge is not you watching online literally in different parts of the country, different parts of the world. The bridge is not a building or services or songs. The bridge is the people who make it up. So at the end of the day, I am the bridge. You are the bridge. We are the bridge. We did this last week. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Repeat after me. I am the bridge. Here we go. I am the bridge. Look at somebody and say, you are the, don't look at me. Look at somebody and say, you are the bridge. Now look at somebody else and say, we are the bridge. And what are we the bridge to? To a world hurting and desperate for Jesus. And so throughout this series, and my prayer has been for a very long time as my heart has geared up and gotten more and more excited about uh, these few weeks of, of messages that, uh, that we'll just take it to a whole nother level. The bridge is well known. Let's just be honest with you. The bridge is well known in our region for a church that, that operates outside the building. And thank you for everything you do from soup kitchens to taking care of homeless folks to all the stuff that you do. Uh, we, we, we're well known, but I believe God's going to take it to a whole nother level in the days ahead as we recognize that we are, in fact, the bridge. Last week, we talked about being a bridge to racial reconciliation. If you missed that message, I hope you'll, you'll get it. And, and if you've got feedback for me, I'd love to receive it. I got a lot of emails this week, and I appreciate every one of them. Uh, and so not just encouragement. If you've got challenges, I receive them, please. Uh, we're in this together. Today we're talking about, as you might have guessed from Beverly and Jonathan's video, we're talking about being a bridge to the fatherless. The truth is there is a worldwide pandemic going on of kids who don't have a family. In America alone, I don't have world stats, but in, in the United States alone, there are right now over 440,000 children who do not have a family. In North Carolina, right now, there are 10,500 kids in the foster care programs alone. 
up from 8,000 just a few years ago. In Wayne County, there are more than 200 children in the foster care system on any given day. Maybe you're from Johnston County or Duplin County or some of the other surrounding counties. Your numbers are about the same, I'm sure. I spoke with a lady from the foster care office this week for a while, and she told me that, that per capita, our numbers were the same as any metropolitan area you can think of, whether it's Mecklenburg County or one of the others. It's a real, real deal. And I knew, and I know, as soon as I start talking about these kinds of things and these kind of huge numbers, it can become very overwhelming. In fact, it can be so overwhelming that it's incredibly tempting to kind of stick our heads in the sand and ignore the issue. But there's a potential good news in this too. You ready for some good news? Anybody want some good news? I like good news. Here's the good news. There are more Christians in America than there are children without a family. There are more Christian families in Wayne County than there are children who don't have a family. That says to me the body of Christ can do something about this. In fact, I'll go further and say the body of Christ has to do something about this. In fact, God says we should. Look at the scriptures. Go with me to James chapter 1, verse 27. You can follow along in your own Bible. Go to the Bridge NC app. All the, the outline is there and all the scriptures and points that I'll be making today are there. You can email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'd be glad to send you these very notes that I'm using this morning. But let's get into the scriptures. James chapter 1, verse 27. I like the way the New Living paraphrases it. Here we go. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means. Stop right there. I want you to understand what we're about to read. He's about to tell us what pure and genuine religion looks like to God. If you want to know what God considers pure and genuine in terms of your faith and your relationship with him, I'm about to tell you. You think that might be worth leaning into? There are two things that he lists in this passage. So drum roll, please. Here are the two things that God says defines pure and genuine religion or faith. It's number one, read it with me, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Two things. Now, we get the second one, okay? Of course, refusing to let the world corrupt your morals, we get that because more and more the world doesn't, seem to have any morals. And so it's kind of hard not to say, you know, I don't want to be corrupted by that immorality or even amorality that's going on around us. But why do you think, why do you think caring for orphans and widows in distress is number one? Let, let me answer it this way. Think about, think about the biggest problem in our world today. Just think about some of the problems that we're dealing with as a society uh, you can think world, you can think America, you can think Wayne County, you can think your hometown, what, your, your neighborhood, whatever. What, what are the biggest problems we're facing in our society? I, I've actually sat down and, and jotted out a list of them. I just run a boat, wrote several of them down in my notes. So I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. But while I'm reading it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself the question, who pays the highest price for each of those things? So you're tracking with me? I'm going to read to you what I've just thought of as these are some of the big problems we're facing. And I want you to ask yourself, quietly sitting right there, who pays the highest price for these? Here we go. Broken homes, fatherlessness, poverty, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, incarceration rates, homelessness, 
domestic abuse, gang violence, racism, teen pregnancy, human trafficking, suicide rates. Do you know that suicide is now the number two killer among teenagers in America? Behind accidents? I mean, these, are, these are the realities, and I invite you here to bring you down, but I do want you to, to think about this for a minute, and that is, what was the question I asked you? Who pays the highest price for every one of those? You want to say it with me, or do you want me to say it? It's the children. In other words, those who did not cause the problem, who have the least ability to do anything about the problem, are the ones who are paying the highest price for the problem. Can we say that together? I want you to hear yourself saying it. Those who did not cause the problems and who have the least ability to do anything about the problems are the ones who pay the highest price for the problems. In fact, you can take a picture of that and put it on social media if you want to be fine with me. Hashtag it TBI am the bridge. Because that's the marching orders, I believe. And not just because God said this is the purest form, the most genuine form of religion, but because, in fact, he commands us to do something about it. Look at Psalm 82, 3 and 4. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Does that sound like a suggestion to you? Sounds like a command to me. This is, you know, you've got the implied you. You teachers tell me about the grammar part of this, but there's an implied you. You defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor. Now, I see two categories of people in, in here. I see the poor. He identifies the poor very clearly, and we'll talk about the poor next Sunday in this series. But the second group could probably be categorized into just one kind of overarching category, and I just call them the powerless, the people who are hurting but don't have the means to do anything about about what's causing those pains in their lives, the powerless. And he mentions several different kinds, lots of groups in that category, but there's one group that he mentions specifically. What is it? The fatherless. The fatherless. God specifically mentions the children. So put James chapter 1 together with Psalm 82, this is what's pure and genuine, and this is the command of God to do something about these kids. And I read that caring for the children is not just a big need, it's not just a good idea, it's a God idea. And we are called as Christians to care for the children. Say it with me, come on. We are called as Christians to care for the children. One more time. We are called as Christians to care for the children. Now, since this is a God idea and we're the bridge to meeting needs, not just the bridge, the name of our church, but the bridge, the conveyance that forms a connection across which Jesus walks to make a difference in people's hearts, I think it might be worth a few minutes of our time talking about some, some practical things we can do to obey the command of God and to have him look at us and say, now that's what I call pure and genuine religion. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Thank you for saying amen because I've got nothing else to talk about today. But it's critical that we consider. In fact, again, I thought of three things 
that I'll mention, and I'm not going to keep you too long today because this is a hard topic. I know this is a hard topic, but I want you to consider them, okay? The first thing that we can do is we can pray. We can pray. I know anytime I start talking about a subject like this and I start throwing out numbers and and the commands of God, it's common. Please understand, it's very common to start going, oh, I don't know. You know, I I hear what you're saying, Pastor Jim, but I I just don't think I'm the one to do something about that. You know, I got a lot going on right now and and I got my own problems in my own family and and I got my own bills to pay and and I'm barely getting by as it is. I mean, I wish I could, but but, but I just just can't right now and, and I need you to hear me say that that's what's going through your mind. If you're underwater with your own family right now, you are absolutely right. If your family's in crisis right now, you are absolutely right. Your family needs to be your first priority. You need to get your family healthy. I met a man in India a few years ago when I was traveling, had the chance to teach in his Bible college for a while. He pastored his New Life Church in Chennai, church of 55,000 people every weekend. I said it right, 55,000 people every weekend in this city in India. They have 6,000 small groups. And I asked him how things were going with his small group ministry, and he said, absolutely awesome, incredible. God's working in amazing ways. I said, well, tell me, tell me something specific. Give me something that's going on. He said, well, a month ago, I gathered all 6,000 of our small group leaders together, and I asked them, how many of you have unsaved uh, immediate family members living in your home? How many of you have a husband or a wife or children in your home who don't know Jesus yet? He said, 5,000 of the 6,000 raised their hand. And I said, okay, forthwith, close your small group because your family is your small group. So we went from 6,000 small groups to 1,000 small groups overnight. And I said, aren't you, aren't you concerned about that? I mean, you shut down 5,000 small groups in an instant. And I saw his eyes light up and I saw his grin get big. He said, are you kidding me? Just think what's going to happen when they make the priority their own families and their husbands and wives come to Jesus and they start working together as couples and their children come together and families start serving together. We're going to change Chennai, India. You see, he understood something that faith begins at, you want to say it? You want me to? home. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their own relatives and especially for those of their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Provision is not just finances. Provision is not just shelter. Provision is spiritual leadership. Provision is prayer over your family. Taking care of your family has to be your priority. It's a reality we have to consider. But hear me, that does not excuse you from the call of God to pray for everybody else. When Jesus was confronted with the problem of a lack of laborers and a lack of leadership, you know what his solution was 2,000 years ago? Some of you know, pray. 
Look what he said. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So when Jesus was confronted with the question, what are we going to do about having enough laborers to meet the need? Jesus' answer was, what? It was pray. So yes, if your family is struggling right now, that needs to be your priority. And by all means, get your family healthy and do everything you can to make sure you're providing your family. But that does not excuse you from following the command of God to pray. In fact, if I've learned anything over the years is that when God pr- confronts me or presents me with a real need around me, there's usually one of two reasons that he's done that. It is impossible for me to meet every need that I'm ever presented with week in and week out, year after year. It's impossible. Can't do it. The bridge can't, as a church family, we can't meet every need we're aware of. Jesus didn't heal everybody that he was confronted with. We can't meet every need we're ever presented with. And so there must be a second reason why he makes us aware of it. And I think this is the reason. He's either calling you to do something about it or he's calling you to pray fervently for the right people will hear the call of God to do something about it. So if you don't get anything else from what I'm talking about today, other than this issue of fatherlessness is a very real and present pandemic in our world. Get this, I am called to pray. Say it with me, I am called to pray. Which leads us to the second call of action and that's serve. So first I pray and then I serve. In fact, I'll just tell you now, don't be surprised when you start praying fervently about a need if God doesn't call you to do something about that need. Don't be surprised when that happens. Kim and I were pastoring in uh, Faison, North Carolina many years ago, early in our marriage. And uh, the church that we were pastoring was supporting a missionary to the Philippines. And, uh, and he left the work. He left the field. And so I called the mission uh, uh, director and said, you know, what do we do with this money that we've been giving to that missionary to support his work when, when he's no longer in the field? And he said, well, you know, the, the Philippine work is continuing. So please continue to give to the Philippine work and it'll go to the, to the ministries that are going on. Uh, there, uh, even though there's no missionary. And I, and I said, well, do you plan to replace the missionary? It was really just a question because I thought I'd be asked it. I wanted the answer. You know, are you going to replace the missionary? And, and he said, well, yeah, I've got to provide somebody. How about you? And I laughed at him. I understand the director of that mission was my, my sister's father-in-law. He was my pastor for many years. We were very good friends. And so I just laughed. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right. You're the recruiter, aren't you, Pastor Bill? And you know, after a few minutes, I said, tell you what, I'll tell you what, I'll help you pray about it. Maybe between the two of us, we'll find somebody. And I did. I mean, if I'm going to make that commitment, I'm going to honor that commitment. And so I began to pray, Lord, you know what the need is. You know who you're supposed to be sending. You know who's supposed to hear. Pray that they'd hear your call. Three weeks later, David Taylor, missionary to Venezuela at the time, came to our church for a mission service, and he preached from Isaiah chapter 6. And and, and quoted the passage where Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. But he said, we have re written that verse in modern times. It's no longer, Lord, uh, here's a need, send me. It's now, Lord, here's a need, send somebody. And I found myself going, 
I told Pastor Bill I would pray that God would send somebody. I'm sitting in church, the church that I pastor. I'm sitting there going, you don't want me in the Philippines. It was not a question. <laughs> That's not what you're saying. That's not what's going on here. But obviously, I couldn't get away from it. And so, within weeks, Kim and I came to agreement. It's a much longer story, but you get my point is when you start praying for a need, don't be surprised if God calls you to do something. Fast forward, I actually put in my notes, fast forward 30 years, and as I'm looking at it this morning, I did the math and realized it wasn't 30, that wasn't 30 years ago, that was 40 years ago. How did that happen? Fast forward 40 years later, Kim and I moved back to Goldsboro to retire. <laughs> and we were here when Pastor Farrell, who's a close friend and has been for many, many years, I felt like the Lord had released him to move on to other ministries. So the board of our church asked me to chair the search committee to find the next pastor. And I began to pray fervently, Lord, you know who that right person is. I pray that you would call that person, call them, uh, and, and reveal them to us. And we did a long, extensive search. Uh, that was three and a half years ago, and I'm still praying for the right person that God has to. Somewhere along the way, the Lord said, Jim, you know, I've called you to do this. I actually got a prophetic word from a friend in St. Louis and said, Jim, is it possible that God called you to Goldsboro because there's a local church that needs you? And he didn't know anything about what was going on here. I said, it's possible. <laughs> Hear me. All I'm saying to you is that when you sincerely start praying, don't be surprised if God calls. But whether he does or not, uh, we're still called to pray. Can I also say just quickly, and we'll move on, don't be afraid to pray that prayer. Because I just described two of the, the ministry highlights of my life, the defining characteristics of my life, both of which came out of, oh God, send somebody, because this is a real need. But when God begins to call you to serve, you're not sure where it is. Let me just mention three right quick and we'll move on. Three areas you might consider serving in. First of all is fostering. I talked to Michelle Brewer, who is the area rep for Omnivision, which is a placement organization for foster kids. And I asked her if there was a need for more foster families in Wayne County. And she said these words, we have no choice but to turn kids down every week because we don't have a place to place them. She said it is a statewide crisis. One of the reasons is because of COVID-19, because more and more families are saying, you know, I don't know where this child's been. I don't know what's going on in the home. Chances are when a child's been taken out of a home because of some circumstance, it's not been a safe environment. It's been a, a drugged environment or something else going on. I don't know if I can enter. I understand all the fears that are associated with this, but I just need you to know this is a real reality. And these are real children who have real needs. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, oh under the best of circumstances, I can never foster a child because, I mean, I would bring this child into my home and I would fall in love with this child. And then I know the goal is ultimately for the parents to get healthy enough for the child to go back into their biological home. And I know that's the goal. And it would just break my heart to have them in my home for a while and then release them. And the truth is, 
you're probably right. In fact, I had one foster parent tell me uh, some time ago, uh, she said, if it doesn't hurt when they leave, you aren't doing it right. Hear me, I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt trip you into doing anything. Please, if you ever sense that I'm trying to manipulate or guilt trip or anything else to get you to do something, then I want you to shut down until God calls. But, and I'm sincere when I say that, but I am saying if the Holy Spirit nudges you to do this, we've got couple of families in our church that have been very, very involved in the foster care uh, areas of this church. They're off of the family gathering this week. They're watching online and they promised, yes, we'd be glad to talk to anybody who just wants to know more about this. But I can tell you that when you talk to them, they're going to say at least two things. They're going to say, it may well be the hardest thing you've ever done. The second thing they're going to say is the child is worth it. I want to say it'll be the hardest and the most rewarding. I can't promise you it'll be the most rewarding because it doesn't work out sometimes. But I can promise you the child is worth it. And can I just throw in just quickly? I promised I wouldn't keep you long. Maybe I lied. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, forgive me, please. Um, if you're in that place right now, and I know in our church and, and the, the reaches of our church and our online congregation, our online campus, that, that you may well be sitting here and you're one of those parents that your children is out of the home and, and, and social services and others have said, you know, you just can't have your kids and you're not able to take care of them right now. And, and, and I, I, I can't tell you that I understand the pain of that because I've never been in your shoes but I've, I've sat with an awful lot of people over the years who, who have experienced that pain and they described that pain and I've listened and cared while they wept. Just this past week, I did, went into one of those walk-in places to get my hair cut and when I walked in, the lady who was gonna cut my hair was clearly distracted and, and having a hard time and, and when I sat down in her chair and she's on her phone and she's talking to the lady in the back and, and I said, are, are you okay? She was clearly distressed. I said, are you okay? And she kind of opened up. She didn't know who I was from Adam, but she just kind of opened up and she had lost her daughter six years before because she made some really bad life choices and she owned it. But she'd gotten her life together and she was sober and clean for a long time. And the person who had been caring for her daughter passed away and now she's so hopeful that social services and others involved would make the decision to let her have her daughter back. She said, my daughter being gone has been the driving force for me to get my act together. I don't, I, 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 I don't understand that pain. I can't feel that pain. But I can tell you the same thing that I told her. We'd love to be the church family that'll help you get healthy enough that your children can come home. We'd love to be that spiritual family for you. For some of you, investigating foster care is your next step to do something about this. For others of you, it may be volunteering in Bridge Kids. The truth is that, that the children that come to this place on a given Sunday morning are dealing with all of the issues that every child around us is dealing with. And they, they come from every kind of home and every kind of environment. And some are incredibly healthy nuclear families and Christian homes and a huge percentage of them fit that category. But some of them are coming from single parent homes and some are being re reared by extended family and some are not sure what's going to happen next. And, and so there are huge 
needs right here at the bridge in our own Bridge Kids ministry. And I don't fully understand it. I've never quite understood it. My calling was in a different direction. And so I've, I've been involved in some levels, but not other. But, but it's been amazing to me, every place I've ever served and led the, the, the spirit that some people have. They're either excited about being a part of kids' ministries or they're saying, I'll do anything. I'll clean toilets. Just don't make me work with the kids. Can I tell you that if you give it a shot, you'll come away going, thank you for letting me work with the kids. And I am suggesting that that may be something you need to prayerfully consider. We've got a special opportunity at our church that frankly not many churches have that we'd love to expand and that's what we call the champions ministry and it's a ministry uh, specifically to special needs kids kids that are on the autism spectrum kids that have learning disabilities kids that have social anxiety uh, issues we had five volunteers in champions three of whom were military and have transferred out and so there's a huge need and opportunity to work with kids who are of special needs. I would just encourage you to stop by test drive in the lobby after church and just ask some questions and to say, what's going on? How could I potentially be involved? The third thing, I gotta move on. The third thing that you could potentially do is get involved in area ministries like Wayne Pregnancy Center, Cry Freedom. I'm sure there are probably other ministries out there, but these guys are, are doing the full gamut. They're, they're going all the way from, from the least able to defend themselves. I'm talking about the unborn, where they're giving real options for life, both at the point of decision and after birth, all the way to those who have gotten sucked into the horrific world of sex traffic, many of whom were abused as kids themselves. I realize uh, there are probably other ministries that are doing similar kinds of things, but uh, Wayne Pregnancy Center, Cry Freedom is one of those ministries that the bridge is very fully engaged in. We've got about 10 of our own people that volunteer there on a weekly basis. We give, every time you give to the Giving Life Fund, a portion of that goes to Wayne Pregnancy Center. We're one of the two primary funding churches in uh, for that ministry, Beverly told me this past week. Uh, and by the way, there are annual banquets coming up. This is not a a crass commercial message. Okay, maybe it is. Their annual banquet's coming up the end of October, and they're actually doing two this year because of COVID and social distancing stuff. They're going to do a Tuesday night and a Thursday night. I would encourage you to consider that. The bridge will have some tables there. You can come sit at the bridge tables, or you can book your own table and, and bring your friends. But I would love to see a strong, strong, strong representation of the bridge at that banquet. In fact, I'll be praying the blessing over the meal one on Tuesday night. Pastor Ryan from our Goldsboro location will be praying on Thursday and I'd love for you to consider that. Email me at info at bridgechurch.cc and we'll give you all the information that you need. So, got to move on. What are we going to do about this real need, about this pandemic that's going on? First, we're going to pray. And I would ask you to put it on your prayer list, put it way up on your prayer list, pray. And, and, and I love what Pastor Ricky was saying this past week in the Facebook Live devotional, pray some dangerous prayers. Don't just say, Lord, give me, thank you for sunshine and thank you for cooler weather and thank you for, pray some dangerous prayers. God, what do you want me to do with my one and only life? Pray some dangerous prayers and watch what God does with you. Pray, hear my send me and then serve in a way that touches children's lives. The third thing that all of us can do is we can give. 
The Apostle Paul <laughs> was absolutely the most prolific missionary church planter of his day and perhaps since. And I don't mind telling you, he's always been my hero. Paul was one of those guys who would go into a town, identify something that would create common ground, begin to build relationships with the people, go into the synagogues, and he would tell them about Jesus, and he would do so until many people came to know Christ, and other people would begin to rise up. And, and town after town, he'd get beaten, he'd get stoned, he'd get thrown in prison, uh, get kicked out of the town, and left for dead. And, and what'd he do? He'd get up, brush himself off, go to the next town, and go again. My mentor and spiritual father actually preached my father's funeral when I was 19 and just entering the ministry. And I approached Dr. Herbert Carter and said, would you be my spiritual dad? And uh, he said, yes. I wish I could just spend the rest of the morning giving a tribute to Dr. Carter. Some of you know him, some of you don't. But I can tell you that one of the things Dr. Carter did for me as a spiritual father is he introduced me to who Paul really was. And he modeled for me who Paul was. I remember one time I complained to Dr. Carter that I was so busy and, and I was so tired and I had so much going on. I was 23 at the time or something, you know. So, hey, don't look at them. But, but you, know, you know anybody who, who they complain about how hard their life is and what they're actually doing is bragging about how busy their life is because it makes them feel more important? Well, that's really what I was doing. I was bragging and, and, uh, and he saw right through it. And he said <clears throat> in doctor's voice, Dr. Carter's voice, some of you knew him, he had one of those voices. You think it's God. He said, well, I don't know, young man. I've never seen a time that a shower and a 10-minute nap didn't revitalize me to go again. Yes, sir. <laughs> I never complained to him to, about being busy again, ever, 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 ever. He went to be with the Lord this week, 87 years old just a few weeks after his wife of 65 years passed away as well. So I've been a little bittersweet, sad, rejoicing this week for his investment in my life. But all of that said, even Paul, as zealous as he was for God and as much as he accomplished for the kingdom of God, he did a lot of stuff, but he didn't do it without a lot of help. Acts chapter 9 gives one of the earliest days of his ministry records of that one account, the Jews who had rejected Paul and, and, were, and they were threatening to kill him. They were going to kill him and this group of unnamed disciples came together to help him. Look at chapter 9 verse 25. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. In other words, they snuck him out of the city so he wouldn't be killed. And what did he do? He got up, went to the next town and preached Jesus where he went. Here's what I'm trying to say. Paul went and got his name mentioned, and we're talking about him 2,000 years later, there was a whole bunch of unnamed disciples who sent, and we don't know their names, but they're just as important as Paul in the kingdom of God. And so we pray, we serve, we give. And that's what offerings like Offering Fit for a King are all about. You found a gold envelope in your chair. I hope you'll take it and take it home. And uh, there's some instructions in here, a little brief letter from me. 
of those of you that are new to the church every year, we stop and say, okay, Lord, is there something that you want me to do financially to catapult this church to the next level to do effective ministry for the kingdom of God? And October 4th is offering fit for a king. We'll be coming together on that Sunday and we'll be bringing our offerings before the Lord. I, you know, i just be honest with you. I hope you give thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But at the end of the day, I don't care if it's a dollar. I want you to do what God tells you to do and I want your heart to be here and what God is doing here. I mean, if all you can afford is a dollar, if that's what God tells you to give, then don't shrink back because God is doing amazing things and he's going to continue to do amazing things and I want you to be a part of it. It's not about the dollar, it's about the heart. So I hope you will. I pray you will. Kim and I are already praying about what we're going to do for that offering. We look forward to seeing what God does through us. I got to close. One more thing before I do though. <clears throat> I, I was blessed. Um, I grew up in a home with a, with a godly grandmother, a godly mother, a loving dad. My dad didn't come to the Lord until a little bit later in, in my life. I had the privilege to pray with him to receive Christ when I was 19, just months before he died. But I had a godly mom and a godly grandma. I've got two plaques on my office. My grandmother was the mother of our church we grew up in, and my mother got a plaque for teaching Sunday school for 50 years. I mean, I, that's my legacy. That's my heritage. So I don't really know what it means or feels like to be an orphan, except to say that I was separated from my heavenly father for a long time because of my sin but he loved me anyway. He adopted me into his family and gave me his name. And the result is I get to say, I am a child of God. He is my heavenly father. When you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive you of your sins, he will do the same thing for you. He will gladly adopt you into his family and give you a fresh start. And from that moment on, you will never be alone again. From that day forward, you'll never be alone again. Hear me. God calls us to care for the children because they need us, but he calls us to care for the children because that's who he is. Psalm 68, 5 and 6, the father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God sets the lonely in families. Understand, you become a part of God's creation just by being physically born, but you become his child when you are reborn, spiritually born, by asking Jesus Christ to come into your life. I need you to understand, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, I need you to understand what you've done with your life what you're currently doing in your life is irrelevant to this truth. God loves you. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die in your place to pay for your sins. And he wants to adopt us into his kingdom. But pastor, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand how far I've gone. You don't understand the road that I've been on. It's irrelevant. Ephesians 1.5, God decided... What? In advance 
to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Nothing pleases the heart of God more than for his children to come home. So for any reason whatsoever, you're not absolutely sure that you've got a personal relationship with Jesus right now, can I beg you not to leave this room until you've settled that thing? There's plenty of us here who would love to pray with you. You can text us to and, and we'll call you later, whatever you want to do. We're not here to embarrass people, single people out. We just want you to connect with the Father. We're going to help you every way that we can. Would you pray that prayer with me now? Saints, pray in agreement with me. Jesus, you know who's here. You know who's listening. You know who's online listening. You know the circumstances of their lives and the issues that they're dealing with. You know where they are in terms of relationship with you. And so I pray right now in the quietness of this moment that you would draw us all into your presence. And in anyone who's not sure that they're welcome, would you communicate your love to them right now? Anyone who's not sure that they have the right to come, would you communicate to them that Jesus gave them the right to come? They come covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, not on their own merit. And would you receive us? If you're not absolutely sure about their relationship with Jesus, would you pray a simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud. You can pray silently. I don't care, but would you pray a simple prayer with me? Father, I don't want to be alone. I want you in my life. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for my sin. Forgive me and give me a fresh start today as a child of God. Fresh start, new beginning, new life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being with us in services today. And I pray that as you do this, pray, serve, give, that God will speak into your heart and, and draw you to a place. Maybe it's a dangerous place, but draw you to a place that you can look back on your life and say, wow, look what God did with my one and only life that has an eternal impact on people's lives. I pray that you would find in him purpose and meaning for us.